this is what is this um, I think it's September <laughs> it is September 20th I think September 20th or 21st the Sunday of fall equinox and uh, this will not be a feel-good show uh, because uh, too many people are not feeling good and I think it's time to acknowledge that in very very direct way and to address uh, the fact that many people think uh, that our country and the world is unraveling <clears throat> Um, probably don't need to itemize everything that's going wrong uh, with the world, but I will anyway, briefly, starting with climate change. And in a way, you have to start with climate change um, because it is the it is a matter of existence, our planet's existence, our own existence, um, whether we can start to slow down uh, the destruction. Um, the pandemic, of course, the pandemic that has no real end in sight, uh, that is causing so much fear and social isolation Now, this year, this summer, the hurricanes, the growing number of hurricanes over the in recent years, and especially this year, and the and the many mammoth forest fires, and both both of these, it seems, from climate change, hurricanes and forest fires, uh, arising from climate change, and the prospect of this getting worse in coming years. And then we've got widespread unemployment, poverty that's worse than ever, homelessness that's worse than ever, food insecurity, if not starvation, and a host of other economic strains. All of this uh, is related to rise in drug and alcohol abuse and the uh, deaths of despair, suicide that come from that, and crime. Here in Rochester, just two nights ago, there was a mass shooting. Two people killed, uh, 14 or 16 injured at a, a huge party. And then you've got this ongoing, unrelenting effort on the part of the administration to sow distrust in the institutions of government, in the news, in facts, in the election process, in science itself. And worse than all that is that the millions of people are succumbing to these efforts to so disruption 
Of course, this year we've got these sickening videos of police homicides against black men and now our own Rochester, uh, part of this infamy. We're seeing the eruption of awareness of our country's systemic racism, and that's prompting reactions, coast to coast, battle lines drawn. And then to go on, what seems to be an eroding social fabric. Uh, I think of a, a growing plague of conspiracy theories, the, the worst probably being this, this utterly insane QAnon. Um, and I just read this weekend about uh, rumor-mongering in Oregon that the forest fires there were started by shadowy leftist activists, Antifa and Black Lives Matter arsonists, supposedly, and Fox News nurturing a panic about all that, inciting some hysteria in rural towns with citizens arming themselves to set up roadblocks to stop cars and look for these supposed arsonists, and that itself causing 911 dispatchers to be overrun, overrun with calls based on these false rumors, prompting the FBI and various sheriff's offices pleading with the public not to take valuable resources away from local fire and police agencies, And now, just when it may have seemed that things couldn't get any worse before Election Day, we have the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which promises to further inflame our dysfunctional partisan divide. be sure, never in my lifetime have I seen such a, a series of distressing, troubling signs and even calamities all at once. And uh, anyone could be forgiven for feeling disheartened at the least, depressed, beset with fear and anxiety. And now we're, we're going into the fall and the winter, the cold season. I'm sensing that a kind of foreboding is enveloping some people, bringing a kind of... Uh, what one person described as a lethargic anxiety, an abiding loneliness, a worrying about what happens now uh, when we're moving into the colder months, at least here in, uh, in this part of the country. It was uh, bad enough in uh, March and April of this year when it was still cold and there wasn't much 
that could be we could do outdoors. Uh, but that was with warmer weather ahead of us. Now we have cold months of cold here, at least in Rochester. I read something about uh, uh, this being now the beginning of the uh, Jewish High Holy Days. It's a ten-day period. Began uh, a couple of nights ago uh, with the first night of Rosh Hashanah. It's the most important religious season in the Jewish calendar, I read. And I read some uh, responses uh, from leading Jewish uh, people. Um, here's just a little of what one paragraph uh, of, from an article called A Holiday Season of Renewal in a season of uncertainty and loss. Uh, this is what it said, this year renewal is not exactly the national mood. The coronavirus pandemic slogs forward, the, rest, the West Coast is burning, and racial and political conflicts rage on with a contentious presidential election looming in November. And then it quotes a, a Jewish feminist website editor uh, who says, this doesn't feel like a new year approaching. I don't think anything will change in terms of the pandemic and our politics. I don't feel renewed. And then they quote another uh, woman, Sandy Kahn, president of a synagogue in the Bronx. I just have this incredible overarching sense of loss loss on a personal level, loss on a communal level, loss on a societal level. I'm, I'm, I'm going through all this at the risk of causing some listeners to feel even more disheartened, but I hope it doesn't have to work that way. Uh, that we're we're kind of all in the same boat. This is bad stuff. This is a rough, rough time to be living through. So you know the old saying we've been hearing since March: "We're all in this together." We are. It's not just the pandemic. At least in this country, we're all in this together. These things that uh, we're seeing. Here's a little more. Uh, this is from an article uh, in the New York Times a few days ago, where uh, based on an interview of Bill Gates, the title is Gates Offers Grim Global Health Report and Some Optimism. The COVID-19 pandemic has set back public health efforts by years. This year's was unrelentingly grim. This coronavirus pandemic has scorched away years of work. More families are in dire poverty. Malnutrition is increasing. Far fewer children are getting immunized. Now, this is 
this uh, article is addressing more of a global uh, problem, problems. Not since 1870 have so many countries been in recession at once. Between 1990 and 2020, the percentage of the world's population living in extreme poverty, which is now defined as living on less than $2 a day, shrank to less than 7% from 37%. In just the past few months, 37 million people have fallen back below the line, the report estimated. The longer the pandemic lasts, the worse its economic scars will be. This report from uh, Bill Gates' uh, institute called the Goalkeeper Report. The percentage of the world's children who received all the vaccines recommended by the World Health Organization rose last year to a record high of 80, as last year, to a record high of 84%. That figure has now dropped to 70%, back where it was 25 years ago. Deaths from malaria, malnutrition, childbirth complications, and diseases like measles and diphtheria have begun to increase. But then, uh, Mr. Gates was optimistic that the lost ground would be recovered in two to three years. He feels that the pipelines of money from tourism, remittances, World Bank loans, and other sources would begin flowing again as soon as the world was beginning, as the whole world was vaccinated, ending the pandemic. He expected that to be accomplished by sometime in 2022. Until then, however, there will be a period of intense pain and even greater inequity between rich countries and poor ones. One of the starkest conclusions in the Foundation's report is that nearly twice as many deaths could be prevented if COVID-19 vaccines were distributed to all countries based on their populations rather than to the 50 richest countries first. So, very grim, grim state we find ourselves in. And it does not help to pretend otherwise. If there's anything we need to respect in this teaching of the Dharma, it's the truth without sugarcoating it. Suffering is the very nature of samsaric existence. You know, we've, uh, we've coasted along in this country, uh, in our short life as a country. Uh, we've pretty much, with some big exceptions, the Civil War, the Depression, uh, we've, we've sailed along in our good karma. And that good karma begins with our geographical protection, you know, with oceans on to the west and the east and friendly countries, north and south. And uh, 
we have enjoyed, I think it's fair to say, relative prosperity, that is compared to other countries and our military power. So we've been riding high for a long time, but how have we used this prosperity and power? Well, we've gone on sowing plenty of painful karma. I always think of uh, arms sales all over the world, selling all kinds of things, and, uh, and also interfering in other countries, economies, and uh, conducting unnecessary wars, just malicious interfering in, in the affairs of other countries generally. And, and why should it be any surprise that, that now all this has caught up to us and we are getting a taste of, of real suffering? If we look back throughout history, we see this kind of suffering in different, some different forms, but we see uh, in ancient China, for example, there were, there were plagues, there was famine, such as we have not yet experienced, civil wars raging for decades. Some of this went on in Japan and Korea in ancient times. Let's, let's, let's grow up and, and, and as a country and face the fact that suffering is the very nature of existence. This is the first of the Buddha's Four Noble Truths. We can, we can only dodge it for so long. Now, there's no reason to think that things weren't, to think, there's no reason to think that we're in this forever. Why, why would that be? That, too, is contrary to the Dharma. What are, what are the three characteristics of existence? This is sort of the, the very heart of the Buddhist teaching. Uh, suffering, the pervasiveness of suffering, impermanence, nothing lasts forever, so there it is, we can be sure that eventually things will change for the better, hopefully later this year in November, uh, or next year, or the next year, hopefully before some years have passed, but why rely on that? We can't rely on that. We can't rely on things getting better on a national or global uh, level any more than we can rely on our own survival. The fact is, we will die. 
every one of us. And there's no way out. Now, we've all been living with that. We've been all been living with it for as many years as we've been alive. We've been living with the understanding, the knowledge of our own mortality, that someday we will no longer be. We will be separated from everyone and everything that we've loved. Come on, we know this. And we've been living with it. And we get along somehow. Well, maybe some of that coping is just just denial. Just denying that we're going to die someday and, and that we don't know when we're going to die. The certainty of death and the uncertainty of the time of death. So, it's not it's nothing new. But it's, it's, what we're seeing now is just an expansion of our own mortality. Empires fall. What empire, looking back in history, has ever not fallen eventually? As a country, we will fall someday, hopefully not soon. Individually, each of on each one of us will die. We don't. We don't help ourselves by denying this, and and now it's it's the suffering that so many people in this country, maybe the world, but certainly this country, the suffering that uh, we can avoid, avoid facing even avoid experiencing to some degree as far as, as physical and emotional suffering. Now we're being introduced to it in a new way on a scale we've never seen before. So back to us, each one of us is an individual. And after all, uh, a country, a nation is just a collection of individuals. It's a, it's a, uh, the national will, if you will, or the national karma. Let's let's use that word again. Uh, is just a, a a collective will or karma of of all the individuals, the sum of all of the individuals. Uh, as individuals, even knowing. Of that we're going to die doesn't mean that we we allow ourselves to sink into passive despair no um, we we find a way to make the most of, of what we what, what we face to to do the best we can even if we assume now that the world is coming to an end, let's say, or that, that uh, all is lost for the foreseeable future, um, it's really no different than what we've been facing as individuals in, in our own body-minds. 
all along. There's a koan in the Blue Cliff record. It's called Daizui's It Goes Along with Everything Else. And this is how it reads. A monk asked Daizui, when the conflagration at the end of the Kalpa sweeps through and the great cosmos is destroyed, I wonder, is this one destroyed or not? Daizui said, it will be destroyed. The monk said, but will it be gone with everything else? You can imagine him just hoping he misunderstood Daizui. And then Daizui said, it will be gone with everything else. Talk about bleak. But uh, to really probe this koan and resolve the koan does not leave you feeling bleak. It's interesting that <clears throat> this is uh, so, uh, it's so, it so contradicts an earlier koan, or, uh, another koan. This is one in the, in the, uh, Mumon Khan, it's a, just the a verse, uh, the last two lines of a verse in the Mumon Khan, where Mumon says, when the universe is annihilated, it remains indestructible. How, how to reconcile these two passages and koans? It remains indestructible and it will be gone with everything else. One of the very shortest of the Buddha's sutras uh, is called the Fire Sutra. And uh, it, it, the the backstory is that uh, uh, a certain uh, aus, uh, certain practitioner of austerities in India, uh, also who also worshipped fire. This is twenty five hundred years ago. Uh, came to the Buddha, um, and. The Buddha, I'll just make it short, and uh, the Buddha said to him, everything is burning. The eye is burning. All the senses are burning. Thoughts are burning. They are burning with the fire of lust. There is anger. And there is ignorance. There is hatred. And as long as the fire finds flammable things upon which it can feed, so long will it burn, and there will be birth and death, decay, grief, lamentation, suffering, despair, and sorrow. Again, just to comment here again, the first of the Four Noble Truths, 
suffering is pervasive. But then, the final part, considering this, the Buddha says, a disciple of the Dharma will see the Four Noble Truths and walk in the Eightfold Path of Holiness. He will become wary of his eye, wary of all his senses, wary of his thoughts. He will divest himself of passion and become free. He will be delivered from selfishness and attain the blessed state of nirvana. That's, that's as much as I'm going to read from that very, even as it is, a very short sutra. Let me just comment. Uh, passion is such a buzzword these days. Everyone is trying to sell passion. Um, what he means, of course, when he says divest oneself of passion is blind passion. Blind reactive reactivity to things. The passion that just creates more suffering. So, we're waking up as a country. There are probably tens of millions of people in this country who don't need to be wakened from suffering because they experience so much of it economically and through racial prejudice and um, other kinds of prejudice, gender prejudice, ethnic prejudice. But then poverty, food insecurity, and so forth. But now it's just more and more piled up. So even even those of us who have been privileged enough, middle-class existence, white, uh, even more so. Now we have to wake up to the nature of existence. But again, this is no reason to give up we we provide for the future and, and and for the present and for the past we, we we take care of things and we live up to our bodhisattva vows by continuing to train the mind through zazen what does that mean training the mind in non-abiding not clinging That's what it all comes down to. That's what every form of Zen practice has in common. Koans, breath, shikantaza. It's practice. Practice and training in not dwelling. And and now we apply it. Here's where the rubber hits the road. When, When things are burning or in all kinds of ways all around us. Okay, now what do we do? Well, 
let's say what we don't do. We don't dwell in what might come. That's thoughts, thoughts about the future. Morbid thoughts aren't going to help us, not going to help anyone. But even, even thoughts that, oh, it'll get better, it'll get better, it'll get better, it'll get better. How much does that really help if we're looking ahead and hoping things will get better? I submit that it doesn't help. What helps is getting better and better at attending to what is just this. Just this. I think the real suffering comes when we wish it were something else. That's when we suffer. Oh, how can it be this way? Oh, uh, I wish there were this or that. Different president, different Congress, different system of government. Doesn't really help in, in the long run. Everything we're learning here is to not separate ourselves from what is. And we do that through zazen, daily zazen, serious zazen. This doesn't mean that we can't also do active zazen in social work or political work. We don't have to hole up in our houses and uh, with our our hands over our ears and our eyes covered and, and, and just wish it were different or just even just doing zazen. Although even, even during this the worst periods of, of one of the worst periods of Japan where Dogen, this is the 13th century, uh, Dogen was taken to task, the great Zen master Dogen, for not getting more actively involved uh, to, uh, to mitigate, to, to somehow help with the civil wars that were going on and other problems in Japan. And, and what he insisted, I want to be a beacon in my mind training. I want to be a beacon for the country. Each one of us can do that. And, depending on how we want to apportion our time each day, we can also, if we feel compelled to get more actively politically involved in Black Lives Matter or working for to 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 improve society uh, we can do that and it does become a a challenge though when there are so only so many hours of the day it's a challenge for each individual but there's no right or wrong 
you do what you feel compelled to do. However, whatever we do actively, we're going to do better if we do continue to do find time each day to do zazen. Then, and what does better mean? It means that we 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 engage with with less reactivity, less blind passion. Yes, we uh, we we engage with others in this all very important work uh, with greater composure in a more grounded, centered way where we can really, really help in a more meaningful way. Yes, these are trying times. And, uh, and it's, it's uh, all the more so that we can't gather except online, by Zoom. But uh, for those of you who haven't been uh, participating in the daily uh, sittings via Zoom, um, I urge you to, to do so whenever you can. It uh, can make such a difference. Just daily sitting, not 10 minutes. Sure, that can help too, but it does help 10 minutes, five minutes. But to sit for a full hour with 30, 40, 50, 60 other people in the morning, at night, or both, this has the power to, to completely transform how we see all of this suffering and all of these dangers. Our experience of the world is not determined primarily by the circumstances we find ourselves in. Our experience of the world is determined by the mind. So it is, it is the most intelligent thing anyone can do is to practice, to work at training the mind to not cling to either the, the negative or the positive, not cling to thoughts, but just find a way to move along with things as they are. This is the highest calling we can reach as human beings. And then in doing that, we, we live up to our bodhisattva vows. All beings of our number, I vow to liberate. We, whatever form that takes, whether it's, it's actively or in politics and social movement now, or just in a more even deeper, more fundamental way in the way that Dogen referred to, just as beacons of purification. Because there is nothing, again, there is nothing permanent about any state we find ourselves in. This will change. 
Of course it will change. It is the, the iron law of life that things will change. It's the one thing we can count on is change. And we will suffer less through this if we can really honor this, this incredible dharma that we have all found. I think I'll stop now and introduce the four vows.